You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Online, on podcast, and on radio, this is the Get Ready for the Future show. We are welcoming you in for another edition, answering your questions. My name is Scott Inman. Glad to be back after a week off, and John Shrewsbury to my right, who was Filling in admirably, I'm sure, seven days ago. In in the in the pilot chair over there as yes. opposed to the co-pilot chair today. Yeah, let me let me just say what was going on with me. I was having some back issues. Yeah? Yeah. I mean my I, you know, you're we're getting older. Yeah, I, I hate to tell you yeah. I hate to tell you, but I'm getting older and I went I and it's I wish I could tell you I was wrestling an alligator. But what happened was I was feeding the dogs, right? I'm scooping <laughs> scooping out some dog food, putting it into the dog food dish. Couldn't, locked up couldn't on get you. up yep. locked up on you yep. yeah so, it happens i'm it, feeling it, much better though it does happen i'm i'm a little bit stiff i was on a trip to lpl financial uh in charlotte yesterday and day before and you know when you're uh, dragging bags around and sitting on an airplane for hours and all of that type of thing you just kind of get a little road weary yeah. so that, it, we'll, we'll make it through yeah no complaints here though we're ready to answer your questions if you've got questions you can send them in in show if you're watching uh, online or you can call or text them to us at 501-381-5228 you can also send us an email show at getreadyforthefuture.com is the address and this show exists and has for a long time john to educate, to be the antidote to fear when it comes to financial education. You were sharing with me before the show began today that that is needed now more than ever. Really, very, very much so. Uh, I was actually consuming some content on X, formerly known as Twitter. I have to think about that uh, for a minute because X has all kinds of connotations that are not real good. <laughs> That's but, right. But anyway, there was actually a tweet that said, 75% of those in Gen Z are in a situation where they say the economy does not allow them to set up long-term goals or it makes it more makes them more hesitant mm-hmm. to set up long-term goals. And Scott, I have to tell you that this is a very disturbing state of mind for Gen Z folks because if you're not setting long-term goals, then you're not making progress. And I have to believe that there is uh, this, I'm going to call it almost a a psychosis. It it might not be, that may be too strong of a word, but there is this impression that the economy is terrible and it's really not. And there, because if you look at the facts behind all the talking heads, you'll figure out that, you know, people have been talking about a recession for a year and a half and we haven't had one. And we've been saying here on the Get Ready for the Future show that we haven't seen a recession in sight Mm -hmm. and we still don't. You know, when you allow that negative mentality to affect your long term planning, then the only antidote for that is education. Yeah. If you elevate yourself and educate yourself as to what the real facts are and more so the impact of long-term planning, regardless of what's going on in the market, then you're in a better place. And we hope to get there with the show. Yeah, there's, there's two prongs to that when I when I hear that stat, that they think that the economy is prohibiting them from making long-term goals. Well, first of all, their perception of the economy may not be right if they're worried about the economy and where it stands today. But then the flip side of that is, is 
where the economy is today is not where the economy is going to be long term. That's uh, right. We know that from history, and we know that whatever we're going through right now is going to be likely temporary. Uh, even inflation, which was sticky, as they told us, is starting to abate now. I, I just don't, I want to, you know, for people that are running around going, it's bad, it's yeah. bad. I want to go, why? Why is it bad? Right. Tell me why it's bad. Yeah. And then let's think through this. Let's walk through this. Let's understand what the facts are as opposed to the feelings. Let's understand what the reality is as opposed to what the water cooler talk is or what the talking heads on TV are telling you about. Let's be real about what we're doing because it's your life that is at stake. It's your financial future. It's your financial independence that is at stake. So you got to get it right. You got to get it right. You definitely do. So let's dive into our questions this week. We're going to start with Alan. Uh, He sent this in via email to us on the show. As a beneficiary of an irrevocable trust, once my parents pass away, it is my understanding that I am required to take mandatory distributions over a 10-year period. What are my options to lessen my tax burden once my payments start? I am currently enrolled in my work 401k and regularly contribute the maximum amount to my Roth IRA. Well, way to go on the Roth, uh, the retirement contributions, Alan. So let's talk about the uh, irrevocable trust. So people do uh, use both revocable and irrevocable trust in estate planning. The irrevocable part, as the name implies, John, is it's locked in. When when you set this thing up, the die is cast. Yeah, and I think to the question that Alan is asking, the pivot point is whether or not the uh, trust assets are qualified assets or non-qualified assets. If they are qualified assets, then you could very well fall under that 10-year rule. Mm -hmm. If they are non-qualified assets, I can't find any uh, rule that says that you have to take those assets out over a 10-year period unless the irrevocable trust mandates that you do that. So there could be some language there. Uh, if they are qualified assets, um, you're, you're, you're kind of up against a wall. There's not a lot that you can do about the taxation of that. You have to take it out. You have to take required minimum distributions out over nine of those 10 years. And then you have to take the rest of it out that you haven't taken out already in that 10th year. So you could actually space that out in 10 equal payments and, and actually uh, do okay with that. But there is really not anything that you can do other than to disclaim those assets and let it go to uh, another beneficiary. But you probably don't want to do that. Right. Uh, even if you're going to pay tax on it, you're still getting more money in your hand than you have right now. Yeah. So if uh, let's kind of let's kind of bear down a little bit more on the qualified versus non-qualified. So qualified means they're in a, a retirement account, uh, most likely 401k IRA, right? And while your parents are living, Alan. It's not going to be in the trust name, right? So the only way it ends up in the trust is if your parents have those IRA dollars uh, on track to be sent to the trust post-death. So that could change. You could change a beneficiary there, but it doesn't really alleviate the 10-year rule. It, well, I say really, it doesn't at all alleviate the 10-year rule. You're still going to have to take that out, whether it's in the trust or whether you've got it in your personal, yeah. uh, or, or you're the personal beneficiary of that. That's correct. And then if it's non-qualified, the benefit there is, is if those assets are not sold while your parent, or those investments, I should say, are not sold while your parents are living. So let's say they're in some stocks and some mutual funds. Their cost basis is whatever they bought 
the investments for, the price that they bought the investments for. If they sell them while they're alive, then the capital gain is the difference. Wherever the asset uh, price is now or the investment price is now compared to when it was or what it was when they bought it. If they don't sell it and they and they pass away and it's in this trust, the taxable amount on that is going to be stepped up or is going to be lessened because the cost basis is going to step up. Yeah, you, you basically get uh, whatever at the date of death uh, of the final person, whatever that uh, cost basis is or whatever the price is of that investment is on that particular date, you get a step up in that basis at that particular point in time. And then if the assets remain in the trust going forward, then only the interest or the the uh, gains on that are taxable to the beneficiary. Yeah. Now, Alan also talked a little bit about his 401k plan. He said that he's enrolled in his 401k plan the question that I would have, Alan, is are you maxing out your contributions in the 401k? Uh, if you are, the, if you're not, then you should be increasing those contributions. And that has a bit of an offset. If you have qualified assets in the trust that are going to come to you, you could offset that income tax uh, effect of those qualified assets coming to you as income. You could reduce your uh, your work income uh, through the contribution to the 401k plan. So mm-hmm. that's that's an idea that I would say that you would have there. Now, just because you have to take the money out of the trust, let's talk about that for just a second. It really doesn't mean that you can't put it back into something for your retirement. Right. There's lots of different options there, Scott. Yeah, and I think that's a key point here for Alan, especially if uh, this is a really – well, let's assume uh, for just a moment, because, again, the distinction here for us is not that just because it's in a re- irrevocable trust that it has to come out in 10 years. It has to be qualified assets. Then the 10-year rule applies unless there's language in the irrevocable trust that says you have to take it out in 10 years. So let's assume that one of those is true – and you're going to have to take all the uh, distributions out over a 10-year period, that doesn't mean you have to spend it. It does mean you have to pay the taxes on it. But as far as long-term planning here, I think that really needs to be what Alan needs to consider. Are you married? Uh, you know, He says he's uh, max, sending the maximum amount into his Roth IRA, but assuming his income doesn't uh, exceed uh, the limits to do this, uh, because of those distributions, if you're married, you could max out a Roth IRA for your spouse. And your spouse does not have to actually have earned income. If you file a joint tax return, your income would suffice. So you can actually get more money into a Roth IRA for your retirement, and you can also put it into non qualified uh, investments in your name once it's been removed from the trust and the taxes have been paid. So if you have followed this ball of yarn all around <laughs> all of what we're talking about, then maybe you ought to, you know, maybe be a financial advisor or something. But I do think it is a very important to point out that it's complex things like this. It's complex planning like this that really does uh, make an emphasis on having a relationship with an advisor that is working in your best interest that is coming alongside you and helping to sort out complex problems like this. And you may say, well, I don't have a whole lot of complexity in my financial situation, even more so for you to have that third party view of the situation and help you in your long term planning. Don't be one of those uh, Gen Zers that is scared out of long term planning because of what they hear about the economy. A financial advisor can help sort that out 
or can help sort out complex questions like this that have tax implications, investment implications, income implications, all of that. That's the value that I think you could have with a financial advisor to address questions like Alan. Yeah, I, I would encourage you, Alan, to plan to invest, plan for uh, some financial goals, and not worry so much about just the taxes. That's an important part, for sure, but getting a financial plan together for uh, those assets after your parents are gone is certainly a good idea. And we're going to say thanks to Alan for sending in that question by naming it the question of the week. I wish we had some sound effects. We're going to have to work on that, right? Yeah. Thanks for uh, reaching out with your question, Alan. We will send you a free Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr, as seen right here on the desk if you're watching online, for being the question of the week. But we need to know where to send it. Just email us. Send that to the same place you likely sent your question. Show at GetReadyForTheFuture.com and say, I want my mug and here's where to send it. And we'll get it to you, Alan. Thanks again for sending in your question. If you've got one, you can call them or call or text them to us at 501-381-5228 to hear your questions on the air or send that email with the question to show at GetReadyForTheFuture.com just like Alan did. Next up on the show, it's Emmanuel from Fort Smith. My wife and I are military Moving every few years, we want to buy a place and rent it out after we move. We are saving 25% of our income, net worth around $550,000, and are 38 years old. Is this reasonable rather than renting? Good question from Emmanuel, and congratulations on saving 25% of your income. And if your net worth is around $550,000, you've definitely done quite well to only be 38 years old. So, a huge round of applause for that. In terms of answering the question whether to buy a place and rent it out after they move, knowing they're going to move, and few people know the certainty of that, like military families, they know that's really likely. Rather than rent while they're there, I think, first of all, is we don't know how long you're going to be there. What is the expectation of uh, how long you're going to be in Fort Smith? And, and, and do you have the money saved uh, to be able to put a good down payment down on that house and not have a huge mortgage payment to make and, and strap you or, or cause you to no longer be able to save 25% of your income. So those are some really good questions. But as a general rule, John, I think we always like buying better than renting because A, you're going to build equity uh, and, and B, you have net worth growth. Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, income uh qualifications or, or income ability to pay, uh, if you will, in a, in a buy situation as opposed to renting. But I think uh, the bigger question is, uh, when you move, Emmanuel, the question is, how far away will you be from the house that you want to yeah. leave behind? Because there is a distance thing that, that really does come into play here. If you have to maintain that house, if you have to go collect the rent from that house, there's a lot there that you've got to think about. What are the logistics? What's the convenience factor here? Is it really worth it to have that rent house that may be more of a problem because you are at a distance than it would be if you were local and could run by and take care of things, pick up the rent check, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to ask yourself, how much will this all cost? Now, certainly you can have a management company. Uh, take care of that for you. But is that really what you want to do? And is it worth it from a financial standpoint to pay them, I don't know, five, eight, 10% of your income off of that to handle all the things that are necessary there? So a lot of questions there. 
Uh, we do think, Scott, that, that real estate generally as an investment is good. We like uh, residential housing. We like anything, multifamily housing. Uh, we, we certainly like the e-commerce based real estate things that are going on right now with uh, the, the large movement to uh, distribution centers and warehouses and things of that nature. So real estate is not, even though you look at office real estate, by the way, I was at the LPL headquarters in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Uh, I was there actually before COVID. The place was just a beehive of people. Uh, you could have put every person in that building on one floor and probably accommodated it. And it's a seven-story building. Wow. Uh, that's how much uh, people are are leaving the office and working from home. There were probably, I don't know, 3,000 people at the LPL headquarters when I was there in pre-COVID. And there might have been... 300 people there uh, when I was there yesterday. So really interesting uh, kind of uh, parallel of, of real estate, but yeah. we're not really talking about that type of real estate in this case. We're really talking about home real estate, and there, you are seeing some some pretty steady a price appreciation because they're not building new houses at a rate, so the demand is much more than the supply. Yeah, and quite frankly, affordability is pushing a lot of people out of home ownership. So there is always going to be, I think, a rent rent uh, base there for you to find a long-term renter. But I think it does come with a lot of headaches that you had to be prepared for. How are you going to, as John's already mentioned, how are you going to pay for the maintenance? How are you going to manage the property? Uh, how are you? How far are you going to be away? Uh, from that geographically to be able to get in and check in on it are very good things to consider before you do that. And of course, you've got some time to do it if this is a a future move. And whether it's reasonable kind of depends a little bit on your overall retirement strategy too, I think. I think it's important to point out, I mean, you you did tell us that you're saving 25% of your income. Uh, We assume that that's going into some retirement accounts and, and building assets that are more liquid than real estate. Uh, and and be av- and will be available to you in retirement. But I think a long-term plan here, too, before you get too far down the hard real estate path, is to determine how are you going to divest yourself of those? When are you going to divest yourself of those in the future? We've worked with lots of clients over the, over the years where that was the bulk of their wealth, and that was all they really intended to do was take rental income all through the rest of their life. But when they get upward in age, to 60, 65 years old. We've even got some that are over 70 that are figuring out now is the time they want to do it. It becomes more effort than it tends to be worth, and they have to have a plan to sell those, and that's dependent upon the market, right? So you want to have that plan in place. If I'm building equity in a place that I can't spend it, you got to have a plan in place to get out of it. Or you've got to have a plan in place to return to that home. Yeah, I do think that there is a lot more validity in buying a home that you know that's where you want to come back to once you are out of the military, that that's going to be your forever home, your permanent home. Uh, if if that's the case, then it does make a lot of sense to, to be very careful in who you lease it to because you're eventually going to live back there. So you want to be sure that it's well-maintained, well-taken care of. But I think that does change the equation, Scott, when you think about, is this just a piece of rental property or is this something that I do want to return to after your time of serving your country? We are here to answer your questions on the Get Ready for the Future show each and every week. It is easy to get one to us. Call or text to 501-381-5228. That's 501-381-5228. Or you can send us an email, send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. And if your 
question is like Alan's earlier in the show, and we name it as the question of the week. We'll even send you a Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr. Moving on to our third question of the week, Lane from Jonesboro. I contribute 10% of salary into my pension, which will be 65% of my salary when I retire. I contribute another 10% to a 457B plan and also max out my Roth IRA. I'm only 32. Am I contributing too much? Well, Lane, you've got some financial priorities in order there for sure when it comes to retirement. You obviously are forced likely to put that 10% into the pension, and that's going to be great to replace your uh, much of your employment income in retirement. You're going to be ahead of the game for uh, ahead of most people for sure because we know pensions are going away. We've talked about that on this show before, that only about one in five American workers right now have access to a pension in retirement, and almost all of those anymore, John, are government workers. Yep. Uh, there aren't very many private pensions at all. All all the corporations, it seems like, are freezing pensions, offering lump sum buyouts. And if you are a private uh, worker there or, or work in the private workforce, I would definitely say that that is something you need to consider, that all of that may change if you're only 32 and you work a long time at the same company. But if it's a government pension, it's not likely to. You're contributing 10% to a 457B plan. I'm also going to assume that he's probably a government worker if that's the case, right? right? Because a 457B, just a moment to talk about what that is for the audience, that is a retirement account, a retirement plan, but it's a little bit different than a 401k uh, or even a 403B for that matter. They're set up for people who work uh, in the public sector and likely will be having the opportunity to retire prior to a traditional age, like 60 or 65. Yeah, it's a deferred compensation plan is essentially what it is. And and so there are some uh, levers that you can pull as far as retirement is concerned. If you have one of those programs, it makes it a little bit easier for you uh, to plan for an early retirement. Also maxing out a Roth IRA. Uh, let me just say, Lane, great job on everything that you're doing here. Congratulations. You're doing well. I want to get to her question, though. Uh, I'm assuming Lane is a, is a female. I'm only 32. Am I contributing too much? Scott, I have been uh, in this industry for 30 years, and I've never seen anyone arrive at retirement and go, you know what? I just saved too much money. I just, I, I don't know. I screwed this up, and I just saved too much money, and I'm going to have these consequences because of it. The only consequence you have of saving too much money for retirement is you have to pay tax on the money if it's pre-tax dollars. But in Lane's case, they're saving uh, some money into a Roth IRA, which is going to help there because that should be tax-free income. And I say should be. It is under the current law tax-free income unless somebody in Washington goes and screws that up. But that's where we are with Roth IRAs right now. So I, I think that that assets are great, but one of the things that we want to really talk about here is working toward that income replacement and and focusing on the income part of that. Yeah. So to get some answers to this question for Lane, you're 32 and it's hard to think about, you know, so obviously a priority is retirement for Lane because she's putting so much money back and she's asking this question, but it's a long time off. It is certainly a moving target when you think about when you're going to retire. Now, I think those get a little, those details get a little more fine if you know you have a pension at a certain age. That's that's a valuable piece of information. But you need to identify when your retirement age is going to be. What What is your target there? And when you arrive there, using a pension estimate and using savings and uh, contribution rates and growth, estimated growth over that long period of time, 
where are you going to end up from an asset level? But as John's already mentioned, retirement is not an asset uh, problem. It is an income problem. Turning those assets into a reliable retirement income stream is where you need the plan to, to really shed some light on. Because are you can contributing too much? If you plan, you'll be able to see where you're going to end up and what that looks like in retirement. It may allow you to maybe divert some of those dollars to some intermediate goals. Do you have a goal? I don't know if you're only 32. Do you even own a house? Do you have a goal to be a homeowner? Do you have a goal to go on a big trip? There can be some intermediate financial goals that are not just retirement, but before you start making changes to your retirement contributions, you have to have that plan in place, John, to know where you're going to end up. Where is the finish line? Yeah, I think the question becomes, Scott, where do I spend my best spend my next dollar? You know, if you're thinking about maybe I'm over contributing here, or I have some breathing room to maybe pull back some contributions, then what? Then what is the next step that you're going to take with that dollar? Number one, if you have debt, then we would say, okay, let's analyze where you're going to be in retirement. And if you could pull back some dollars, then let's get rid of debt. I think that uh, depends on uh, the type of debt. You know, you could uh, address that in, in a couple of different ways. I think you have to, as you mentioned, Scott, assess your lifestyle now. Are there some intermediate things that you want to do? You certainly don't want to, uh, uh, you know, starve yourself from life experiences and some fun in in life and things of that nature just to arrive rich at retirement and maybe die and not ever get to spend all that money. Yeah. So there, there's some balance there that has to come into play. But there's also maybe the opportunities for early retirement. We touched on this just a little bit. The 457 plan gives you an opportunity to tap into deferred compensation prior to the traditional 59 and a half retirement age. And a little known fact that uh, there's a lot of argument about, but this is black letter law in the IRS code that you can access Roth IRA contributions prior to age 59 and a half, no tax, no penalty, because that was your after-tax money that you put in in the first place. You can uh, take withdrawals out of a Roth IRA all the way up to your basis in that Roth IRA and not be taxed, not be penalized on it before 59 and a half. So that is a planning mechanism that we use periodically with Roth IRAs if we have someone who is retiring. Yeah, you let the cat out of the bag there, right? I did. That is a little known fact. And it's certainly, I don't think you want to go into a Roth IRA thinking that you're going to pull back out uh, before retirement. But if you need to, that is certainly an option. But again, Lane, you're off and running. You're doing a great job at 32. Uh, We would just encourage you to get with a financial advisor and build a retirement plan so you can know where where you're going to land in retirement and give you some options there uh, if, if you are putting in more than you're going to need for your lifestyle in retirement. All right, one more question before we go today. It's from Bobby and Sheridan, and here we go. Next year, I may have income above the threshold for a Roth IRA. We're on a Roth IRA kick today. We are. I love talking about Roth IRAs. It's our favorite thing to do because they're such versatile and flexible retirement vehicles. Are there disadvantages to making backdoor Roth contributions if my income ends up low enough that I could have contributed directly? Bobby, thanks for your question. Good that you know about the backdoor Roth. For the rest of the audience, we're going to talk a little bit about that and then get to your question. But a backdoor Roth, so there are income limits, uh, employment income limits that preclude higher earners from directly contributing to a Roth IRA. Now, in 2023, those are 
$153,000 if you're a single tax filer, $228,000 annual income if you're married filing jointly. And that's uh, the modified adjusted gross income number. Those are going up in 2024 to $240,000 for a married couple and $161,000 for a single. So uh, obviously, Bobby, if he's written this question to us, knows he's going to be on the verge of potentially making too much to be able to contribute to a Roth. But John, where the backdoor Roth IRA comes in as an option, and it really is restrictive on who really should take uh, advantage of this. But if you have no other IRA dollars, if all of your other money is in the 401k, if your pre-tax investments are in the 401k, not in an IRA, you can actually contribute to a traditional IRA and then convert those dollars to a Roth IRA. Yeah, let me say very clearly that there are no contribution limits in terms of income to a traditional IRA. Uh, you know, the most well, Warren Buffett can contribute to a traditional IRA. He just can't deduct it. Yep. And then he, uh, the backdoor feature here is that you immediately after that contribution convert those dollars to a Roth IRA. I would do it while it's still sitting in cash yep. before it's ever invested because you don't want to generate any gain in that in the traditional IRA sense because then you create taxable income on the conversion. So let's say that you put $7,000 into a traditional IRA today and immediately convert that to a Roth. That is a backdoor Roth contribution. As Scott has alluded to, the thing you don't want to do is have other IRA assets because it gets into this really convoluted mess that the IRS created when they wrote the rules that basically says if you have other IRAs out there, you can't just convert this one. You have to do a pro rata contribution and then you get into actually uh, converting taxable income and having to pay taxes in the year that it's converted. So mm -hmm. it's a very specific area where you can execute on a backdoor Roth IRA. We don't often suggest it to people because of the complexity is in, in place, mm -hmm. but you can get there from here if you're needing to make that Roth contribution. And it is also important to point out, John, that if his income ends up low enough that he could have contributed directly uh, there's not any disadvantage to having done it on the backdoor side. That is correct. Uh, there is a disadvantage if you are make too much income, then you have to back that out and pay taxes on any gain that you've had on it. Uh, so that's another mess that you don't want to get into. So you want to be very exact, very careful in this process. I think it is very important, Scott, that you consult a tax professional to look at the all the considerations and be sure that you know what you're stepping in, if you want to call it that, uh, as you get in down this road. But it is something that I think is worth some consideration. Now, let's talk about the fact that that what you could do otherwise. Okay. Let's talk about, you know, if you've got money and you can't get it into the Roth IRA for whatever reason, there are other alternatives. You could go into an annuity program that is tax deferred. Uh, all annuity contracts grow on a tax deferred basis. And that might fit into the equation if this is truly retirement dollars that you want to use at age 59 and a half. 
or you could just invest it into a non-qualified account, pay the taxes on the dividends and capital gains, actually find some tax-efficient investments, ETFs yeah. and things of that nature that you could put into that non-qualified account, and then you have no restrictions on it. You're just having to deal with the tax issues as they come up. I love a non-qualified account. I think you should max out those retirement accounts for sure, but man, if you're if you're thinking about retiring early, you take the 59 and a half problem away. Uh, by having some non-qualified investments. You do have to pay taxes as you go, but John, there's, there are many ways that you can do that in an efficient way. Uh, you think about municipal bonds, you think about some real estate investment trusts that uh, are, are tax favorable on the distribution side. Yep. So you can do that in a favorable way and take some income from it along the way or continue to reinvest those dividends uh, and grow those uh, investments over time. Scott, let me mention that any of the investments that we make reference to, you you don't want to just go, oh, they said that on the show. Yep. Let me go do that. Yep. Uh, this is a process that you need to sit down with your financial advisor and carefully evaluate the merits of any investment that you go into. We don't recommend investments on this show. We just talk about alternatives. And because the reason we don't recommend investments on this show is we don't know anything about your situation. And the preeminent thought process throughout any of this is we have to evaluate what is in your best interest. And that is a very specific thing. So generalized comments like this, you have to really be sure that you dig down into your specific situation before making a recommendation actually live in your portfolio. Bobby, thanks for the question. Also, thanks to Lane, Allen, and Emmanuel for sending in questions to the Get Ready for the Future show. You heard the bell ring. That's our final bell, and it means it's time for our closing thoughts. Scott, I would just say that, you know, the questions that we've dealt with today deal a lot with retirement, Roth IRAs, and a lot of complexity here. Do I do this when I'm doing that or what have you? And I'll go back to what I said earlier in the show. This really speaks to the value of sitting down with a financial advisor, whether it's GenWealth or some other advisor. Uh, there are plenty of competent advisors out there. We would love to have the opportunity to sit down and earn your business here at GenWealth. But we have a team of people that we can bring all types of disciplines to bear from a tax standpoint, from an investment standpoint, planning uh, things that, that deal with estate planning, long-term care issues, life insurance issues, regular retirement income planning issues. Those are things that we specialize in here at GenWealth. But it is all about having that coach come alongside you and help you to navigate these complex waters that are ahead in your financial plan. I would just say to build on John's last thought, if you're looking for a financial advisor and need some help building your retirement income plan for the future, you can step into the GenWealth Ready to Retire process by just reaching out and contacting us, either sending us an email or just call toll-free, 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. Uh, we will uh, be able to talk to you over the phone and set you up with a first appointment with the GenWell Financial Advisor. And that first appointment is always complimentary. It's just a discussion about your dreams, your goals for the future, and we will see if we can help you. Our thanks again to the people uh, sending in questions today, and we hope those will continue in the coming weeks. That is all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. Again, you can call or text your question to 501-381-5228 or send us an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. 
thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, share the podcast with your friends and family. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.